Hey, pack people. Remember, you can show your support by sponsoring one of our interviews with the animal welfare community. Please contact us through www.packpeople.com to find out how your sponsorship can help us continue our work on behalf of animals and the people who care about them. Pack People welcomes Josh Dean, author of Show Dog, The Charmed Life and Trying Times of a Near-Perfect Purebred, March 24th, 2012. Hi everybody, Rapino Kabang here, and welcome to Pack People's interviews with people who make animal welfare and animals a priority. And today we have an interview with the author Josh Dean, who has just finished a book, Show Dog, The Charmed Life and Trying Times of a Near-Perfect Purebred. And you can find more information on this great book at www.showdogthebook.com and also about Josh Dean's career at joshdean.com. And uh, I'm going to go over a little bit of this, um, who is this Josh Dean? (laughs) And Josh has contributed to many incredible uh, publications, including Rolling Stone, GQ, Travel and Leisure, New York Entertainment Weekly, a a long and varied career. So Josh, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, the book, Show Dog, was released in February, and as a writer, First of all, how long did it take to create this book, and, and how does it feel to you to have finished? It was about a two-year project start mm. to finish, if you include the writing. The, the reporting part took me about 14 months. I think uh. I started. Some, I don't remember exactly. Sometime around the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, and I finished in February of 2011. And then, then I started writing, and I think I finished writing June, July. Wow. So it was about, it was two years, well, I mean, that, that was the first draft, actually. So no, uh-huh. no revisions. I mean, it basically was two years by the time I was finished with everything and it was turned in. Well, like like any any important work, it's a labor of love, and it's it's paid off. We've got some reviews here. Um, USA Today, Craig Wilson says it's the literary literary answer to that laugh-out-loud movie, Best in Show, which is, which is a big favorite. Um, it's eccentric and really fascinating, according to NPR. Uh, sometimes treacherous, <laughs> and um, it's got a lot of great notice. And so, what made you decide to write about this? Did you have, do you have a background in animals, or what prompted you? You know, I'm I'm an animal lover. I've had them my whole life. I don't mm. currently own a dog, um, though that's probably just temporary. Uh, I live <laughs> in an apartment in New York City, and I have a young son, so right. I, I already have one wild animal in my house. <laughs> yeah. um, but I. I I've always loved animals, um, and as a journalist, I'm sort of drawn to subcultures and colorful characters, and, and I just had this idea, actually for a few years before I even started it, um, I think I actually first told my agent about it three or four years before I wrote a proposal, I just thought, you know, I, was, I loved Best in Show, obviously there's a lot of truth, I knew there was a lot of truth in it, but it was an exaggeration, and right. I, I just wondered like what, what the real world was like, like what, what is it like to be a show dog was kind of the... the one question, and also, like, who are the people that make show dogs who they are and live in this world? And, and so I just decided I hadn't written a book before, and I really wanted to, and it needed to be, I think, if you're going to spend two years on something, it better be something that you're not going to get bored with. And right. I knew it would be interesting and colorful, and, and I knew hanging out with dogs for for the better part of two years would probably be fun, and <laughs> it was. And it was, Yeah. 
<laughs> now the the our our cover dog or the the title dog the near perfect purebred is is uh, Jack an Australian Shepherd the lead character and and you followed him through his appearances and and his successes and uh, what drew you to him as the lead character? Well, it, yeah, it was funny because I had the idea was the way you tell the story in my mind best was to, to follow one show dog kind mm-hmm. of you know. One show dog that stands for all show dogs. It's like, what is it like to be? What is a show dog? What is it like to be a show dog? What's his life like? And but then I, I, I sort of was paralyzed for for a while because I, it seemed really daunting. Like there's thousands of them and tens of thousands of them. And um, how was I going to pick one? Because at first I thought, oh, I'll pick the, I'll find a great puppy and I'll follow him until until he wins like big shows like Westminster. And then I very quickly realized that's impossible. Like you just there's no way you could ever pick the right dog as a puppy. You, right. The only way that would work is if you picked a dog that had already won Westminster and then went back and like interviewed all the people and told, reconstructed its life. Well, that didn't seem like nearly as much fun as actually having one dog. So <laughs> what I decided to do was, was befriend some professional handlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started reaching out and I was having a little trouble. Uh, you know, a, a lot of them were sort of put off. I think the idea of having a journalist sniffing around, they uh. thought, like, I'm probably just going to either write some kind of expose or make fun of them. Right. But, I, but I found this husband-wife team in Pennsylvania, Heather Bremer and, and Kevin Bednar, their early 30s, great people, who just, you know, I don't know, had a good instinct, trusted me. Uh-huh. So what I did is I went out and met their dogs, and they, they'll handle on a given weekend between 8 and 20 dogs, and, and a handful of regulars who are out every week. And, and Jack was one of those dogs, and he he just kind of chose me. He has a lot of personality. Um, and they specialize in the kind of dogs I like, which are herding and sporting and working. They're kind of big doggy dogs. Uh-huh. And I should say, like, I, I knew what I, I didn't want to pick a dog with some with highly primped, you know, a right. poodle or, or a... Yorkie or a Pomeranian, not because I think those are bad dogs, they're great dogs, and it's just I felt like a more approachable dog would make the book approachable to people who might not have any interest in dog shows, because right. it wasn't written for show people, it was written for people who just like animals and who like a good story. Right, it's interesting, like it parallels uh, some of the best fiction uh, based on humans, we, we all relate to an everyman. Right. So Jack's kind of the every dog, in a, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, he's a very special Australian. You know, among his breed, he's a great exemplar, and, and he's a champion dog. And he, he won. You know, he's he's very accomplished. But on the other hand, he looks like a dog that any family would own, and he's athletic, and he's happy, and right. he's energetic, and he's like a little naughty. And <laughs> yeah, I just think there was a lot about him that made I felt like people. You know, if you choose a poodle that spends four hours a day getting its hair done, that, that's just a natural turnoff to a certain percentage of the people. Yes. So I feel like, you know, you don't have to have any interest in show dogs to, to like Jack and his story. Yes. At least I hope not. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there are some unfair situations explored. Uh, people, it, like in any competition, there are people who will cheat to win. Um, can you tell us about any unfair situations that you witnessed or were privy to? Well, I, I don't know that I actually witnessed firsthand any mm-hmm. cheating because people are not, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that you're not going to want to be very careful about that because anyone who caught cheating will be disqualified. Right. Depending on the severity of the cheating, you know, you could be barred from shows or, or banned for life. So, um, 
I mean, the funny thing about dog showing is that according to the AKC regulations, you're not supposed to modify the dog in any way that's mm-hmm. unnatural. And that means, like, it should appear more or less the way in the ring it, it would mm-hmm. um, left to, which is outrageous because, I mean, every white dog is covered in white chalk and hairspray. Poodles <laughs> will be really heavily hairsprayed. and wow. there's, special, there's special shampoos. That, so... Like, according to the letter of the law, that's cheating, but it's not really, because uh-huh. they know every everybody out there is putting, like, you know, there's shows where Jack Handler will put some chalk on his white parts to make them stand out more. Okay. And that's not really cheating. On the other hand, there is the, quite a, you know, I didn't see it, but I heard that it was not uncommon for people to do things like you actually die to, like, die. Uh-huh. Say if it's a black dog that happened to have a white spot, they might die the black dog. Or which is not harmful to the dog, but the point is sort of like you're cheating because you're trying, you're representing a dog as something that it's not. And then on the worst side of that, cosmetic surgery is like docking. If the tail is not set a certain way, they'll like clip a muscle so that it falls. Or or there's prosthetics they'll put in the tail sometimes to make, is the tail supposed to be erect and it curls? Really? Oh my god! Yeah, and, and I don't want to say that's common, because I think most people at dog shows are on the up and up. But yes. Like, yeah. I heard it enough to know that it's going on. It happens. And the problem, the real problem with that especially is that, you know, dog, the ostensible purpose of dog showing is to, like, identify the best and most health, healthiest specimens to reproduce so what you're trying to do is find really strong dogs that that are going to produce strong dogs in the future well right. if you start altering something artificially to, to fix a flaw and then you're gonna that dog wins and of course people are going to want to breed to that dog and yes. then that that genetic flaw is just going to be magnified to the breeding right. so it's it's worse than just cheating it's actually like could be harmful to the breed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um now I've watched the dog shows, a lot of us do, and I, I'm still kind of, I'm a bit of a layman, I'm kind of uh, unfamiliar with how they do this, but you've seen it, how can how do judges rate a dog that represents a, spe- a specific breed? Well, I actually didn't understand this at all. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I thought that, I guess that what I, I, I didn't ever think hard about it, but what I thought generally was what they were, they were just kind of picking their favorite, you know, like the, uh-huh. that it was kind of a subjective, right. that's the most beautiful specimen kind of deal. Whereas uh, it's quasi-scientific. The idea is that they are are rating each dog against a, like a Grecian ideal of that breed. Oh, so in, okay. the, in, in the, every breed has what's called a breed standard, and that's written by the parent club of that breed. And in the case of the Australian Shepherd, there are actually two parent clubs, but that's slightly different but almost identical mm-hmm. standards. And that's everything from coloration and coat and what the ears and the tail should look like, how the dog moves, what its personality should be. It's a very, very, very specific. And then what, it, what the judge is supposed to do is look at Jack and say, here are the things about Jack that are, like, perfect to breed standard, and here are the things that are maybe slightly imperfect, and he has less imperfect than any other dog in that ring or he's the best mover in the ring so i'm gonna pick him that uh-huh. day and then like that's that in in the way if, if anyone doesn't know how dog shows work so you, you first compete against other dogs in your breed so right. the morning the morning and the early part of the afternoon of the breed competition so uh-huh. every breed competes against so jack would be only with australian shepherds and then 
the one that's picked out of that goes into the group. So then there's a herding group where it's like the Australian Shepherd, the Corgi, the German Shepherd, oh. the Belgian Malinois. And then there are seven groups. The winner of each group then goes into the best in show. Uh-huh. So if you show up and you're watching the herding group and the judge is like, Picking from a corgi and a German Shepherd and an Australian Shepherd, you're kind of like, well, God, this dog's all look so different. How is now, he doing it? Now what I get suppo- it. Yeah. What he's supposed to be doing is saying that Australian Shepherd is more like the perfect Australian Shepherd than that corgi is like the perfect corgi. Right. So it's like, in theory, scientific. In, in reality, I don't think there's any way that the judges aren't letting their personal biases come into yeah. it. And ju- judges are breeders themselves, and they have right. preferences, and they're probably are instances where they're just saying that's the prettiest dog. I like the way that dog looks. But then they are, they are somewhat qualified to choose what they think is best of the best as it kind of filters up through those, those. Right. And it's actually very, very difficult to become a judge. You really have to be an expert. So I don't remember exactly the requirements, but you know, you have to have been involved in in breeding dogs for quite some time. And, And then you can you go through this whole provisional like kind of apprenticing process where you're like helping ringside, and then at a certain point you can apply to become a judge for whatever your breed is. Mm. And then once you have one breed, you can then I think apply for two the next year, and then I think it, it's like exponential. At a certain point, you can then apply for the entire group, so you can have all the herding dogs, and that's just one group. And so it actually takes years and years and years and years and years to be able to judge even a group, let alone one breed. It's so they definitely take the time to, to learn, but right. I still think that often what they're doing is picking the one that they think looks the best. Right. Could, and, and you have a theory about judges. Uh, I'm sure it's not all across the board, but some judges may, uh, may be uh, kind of swayed by a dog's winning streak. Can you share about that? Yeah, I, I think that it's almost um, inarguable to say that, like, the and this is especially true of, of the big dogs. Now, um, dogs that are called campaign, which is when your dog has already achieved it, won enough points to achieve its championship, which is to get the CH in front of the name. And, that, and that's like kind of what, uh-huh. it's the first goal of dog showing. And that basically a lot of people quit at that point and they go and just use those dogs. As, because it basically says that this dog has been picked by enough judges that he's an excellent Australian Shepherd. So, Right. People will want to breed to him because they know that he's like, that's a good, that's a quality dog. Yeah. Now, yeah. a lot of people, beyond that, it becomes much more like a sport because a lot of people, especially wealthy people, will choose to, what they call campaign a dog. And, and those dogs are called specials. And they're dogs that already have their championship and they're just competing for the sport of it. And they're against the other champion dogs. And those are the dogs that are t- competing for best in shows and rankings. And, and those dogs will be often quite heavily advertised in, in mm-hmm. dog magazines. So there's, there's a number of show dog magazines, and they'll buy these kind of glamorous full-page shots of the dog with some of its <laughs> awards. And So the big dogs develop a reputation, and the more the dog gets out there and known, the more it tends to win, and then I think it can be very hard to beat those dogs that get on that kind of roll because then the judge what happens is the judge starts to get to know that dog, either by its look, because it has a distinct look, or often because of the handler who's handling it. But right. you know, they're like, oh, that's that Australian Shepherd that Heather Bremer has. That dog wins a lot. So when they're looking around the ring and thinking, well, which one I'm going to pick, they think, well, God, that dog's won like 10 weeks in a row. I should mm-hmm. probably pick that dog because obviously he's the best. Like, right. So I think there's a 
there's a little bit of I don't want to look stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, if all the other judges say that dog's amazing, I should pick him. There is a counter to that, though. There, there's a certain sort of more obstinate subset of judges who like, <laughs> Defiance. To, who, who like to make a point of, like, I'm not going to be swayed by opinion, public right. opinion, and I'm my own person, so I'm definitely not going to pick that dog today. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's one enough, and I'm, I know what I'm talking about. So at that level, every champion dog is beautiful. So yes. it's, it's not like they're wrong to pick another. Like They might just say, hey, you know, that dog is also amazing. Just because he hasn't won as much and doesn't have this rich owner who can advertise him doesn't mean he's not a great potential champion, too. So you, you will get that, too. But I do think... Generally, once a dog is winning a lot, it's very hard to stop the momentum. Because right. Judges will just kind of be like, hey, you know, who am I to. I, I'm not going to be the person that says that. And that's the dog here. Yeah. Um, is there one thing from from this whole experience of writing Show Dog and, and being in that world, one thing that you've learned about uh, dogs or, or people? Well,. Uh, well, you've learned so a lot, but... <laughs> I mean, the, one, the, the thing that stands out to me most about um, dog showing is, one, how how incredibly expensive and time-consuming oh. it is as a hobby for people. Yeah. And a lot of the people are not wealthy, but they're basically you know devoting most of their disposable income, and even in some cases... I mean, one of the owners of a, a dog who's handled by Jack's handlers, you know, she told me taking out a second mortgage on her house and, and these people are wow every weekend at dog shows like literally every weekend maybe maybe 45 weekends a year and, and then, you know in the evenings they're bathing and grooming and, and working on training and it's a kind of an all-consuming passion mm-hmm. and you know you ask why and people are like well what do you like to do are you a golfer are you a skier like do you spend like five thousand dollars to go on a ski vacation well i think that's kind of crazy right. you, know, you, you think it's crazy that i'm spending my money on going to dog shows like we all kind of have the thing that other people probably think is a silly thing to spend money on right i think the one thing that you will hear always um i mean these are all dog lovers so it's like their dog is probably the most important thing in their lives and this is a way to spend even more time and mm-hmm. attention on the dog and it's a kind of validation for i mean i think Virtually anyone who owns a dog will probably tell you that their dog is the most amazing dog around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whether it's a whether it's a mutt or you know the Westminster winner, the owner still right. feels like I have the best dog in the world. This dog is amazing. You can't convince me that my dog is be- your dog is better than mine. And dog showing is kind of just like everybody feels that way. And here's a way to actually get that validated because mm-hmm. some judge is literally going to hand you a ribbon and say, "Hey, you have the best dog here." Like <laughs> I think that feels. It's like why parents care so much about Little League, and it's yeah. why, like, you know, parents get wrapped up in debate club. Or right. There's, like, a real emotional, visceral thing that's going on at a dog show where people are... It's competition magnified by love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what I learned most about dogs, probably, is that I think I, I developed a much deeper appreciation for the, the human dog bond and how how much dogs are attached to us, how they're just as attached to us as we are to them because I read yeah. basically everything I could about dogs and I spent every weekend with them and uh, just the things that they will do for us is, is amazing and they really aren't 
like I think at dog shows they're having a good time and they don't care really what they're doing. It's, it's, more, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more about being with people. Right. <laughs> and I, I noticed that you, you have uh, written a lot and uh, contributed to the um, kind of sports magazine world. Yeah. Um, so, so you're no stranger to competition. <laughs> I'm not, and I think that that was also part of probably something I didn't mention is like yeah, part of the interest of the book is that I knew that I could look at it as kind of a sporting arena, and right. that it was competition, and that's obviously something I'm drawn to personally. You yeah, know, sports are a big passion of mine, both as a player and a fan. So yeah. I think I knew the dog showing would be. Sporting, right? Feel like competition, so I definitely get it. I mean, I get. I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of getting irrationally wrapped up in wanting to losing. <laughs> well, there's a whole spirit to competition, which is why so many of us are spectators, if not participants. Um, did you? Uh, and you had mentioned that you, you you have a little boy at home, uh, but maybe there will be another animal in your life. Um, do, do, was there a moment when you? Did you get very attached to Jack? Did you want to take him home, or, or have you considered other dogs or animals since since this experience happened? I, I am. I, I was, and I am very attached to him. He's he, he's one of the most dynamic animals I've ever known. He's as person has as much personality, and is probably smarter than any dog I've ever spent time around. That said, yeah. he's you know Australian shepherds are can be challenging. They're very smart, very yeah. smart, which makes them a little mischievous. And very energetic. So high energy, yes. You need to be the kind of person who can handle a high energy dog. I mean, yes. I happen to be really into sports in the outdoors, so I think there's a very good chance when we get a dog, it will be an Australian yeah. Shepherd. Yeah. I, but Jack is even like turned up a little high for me. So I think <laughs> we might go with a female. We might go with a, like one that's, you know, breeders can usually tell when they're puppies, like, they call it drive with Aussies, and it, it refers to their uh, their herding dogs, and so uh -huh. they work with livestock. And drive is kind of their energy level and their their desire to do work. And you know, for Jack, showing his work and playing his work, and, and it's it's basically like he wants to be on all the time. And they call that drive. Well, usually breeders can say like these are this is a puppy with lower drive. We yeah. would also not. I'm not interested in dogs showing personally, so we would. We would probably neuter. I wouldn't get a show quality dog. We would probably neuter him, and he would yeah. be a pet. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to be a breeder. Um, right. And I think it, it's one thing that you know, breeding is, is is a very. It's kind of a fraught and complicated world where yes. you need. You really need to know what you're doing. There's so many shady people out there doing mm -hmm. it. There's so many people who don't know what they're doing, and a lot of the controversy about genetic flaws and problems and whether it's good or bad. Well, like, when breeding is done responsibly, that stuff tends to be minimized because breeders, we have genetic testing now, and, and nobody wants healthier dogs more than the breeders. Right. But, you, you know, I would say anyone who's not showing and, and breeding with people who know what they're doing should spay and neuter because it also helps with a male dog be a little less hyper. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so in general... If you could give pet owners one piece of advice or a choice piece, what would that be? Um, I, I think uh, one thing I could, what I really became to believe in um, with spending this year around all these professional handlers, most of them are highly trained in working with dogs. I'm a, I'm a real believer in positive reinforcement training. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot, you know, because of the whole Caesar Milan movement, there there is like a school of there's a more of a firm hand school out there that mm -hmm. I think 
only you know think about Caesar he's working with really seriously troubled dogs right your average person is not going to have and so when you use negative or negative reinforcement and punishment is really bad because dogs don't totally understand it you know mm-hmm. they just they don't understand why they're being punished always. They just know that it makes them kind of fearful and nervous. And yeah. that's something that's very hard to change. Whereas dogs will do anything you ask it, want them to do if you give them affection and food. Yes. <laughs> yes. All you have to do is reinforce the good behavior and don't reward the bad behavior. You don't right. have to punish the bad behavior. You ignore it. And positive reinforcement is what all dog handlers at dog shows use. You can uh-huh. get dogs to do just about anything. Like that's Jack... His owner, Kimberly, and his handler, but especially his owner, like, he likes to do tricks. And she could teach him a trick in three minutes because he's so smart, but <laughs> also uses treat. Or even, not even treat, sometimes it's just, like, good boy and pat him on the head. Because right. dogs really want to make you happy. Like, that's that's when they're most excited is when you're happy. That's true. That's true. Now, in your, uh, in your travels and in your work, uh, have you come across any other... Uh books or websites that you'd like to recommend um, to our audience, aside from Show Dog, which we will gladly, you know, highlight here. Um, any, <laughs> any other things <laughs> you recommend? Um, well, wow, I read so many dog books. I, I, I really like, um, uh, well, websites, I mean, I like, I like Dogster quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, uh, oh gosh, now I can't. I'm freezing up now. <laughs> NBC Universal sites have a uh, have a dog site that I really like. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, we'll look. Books. John, John Franklin. John Franklin wrote a book called um, Wolf in the is it Wolf in the Kitchen. Uh, it, about a, adopting a dog. That's amazing. John okay. Franklin is his name. Well, we'll yeah, we'll look that up. Um, I mean Jeffrey Musayev Mason's books. The Sons books are great. I'm sorry. Who is that? Um, Jeffrey, I think he pronounces Noam Musayev. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Masson. All right. Uh, he, he's written a lot of books about kind of human dog bonds that are, that are great. Right. Um, that, there's, there's so many. Um, I didn't read a lot of, the, I should say, I did, I, because I was doing journalism, I didn't read a lot of the dog memoir genre, of, which is what most of the dog books out. So I tended to read the more scientific, historic, which are a little dry. Uh-huh. So, I don't know that I'd recommend most of them unless you're really interested in the science and, and genetics. That's okay. We have we have a, a varied audience. Some of them are highly interested in like the more clinical views on animals and animal welfare. So that works yeah, I, definitely. Um, but I actually devoured probably too much that I'm almost like my brain is like freezing up. Saturated. Now that <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, ultimately, what we want people to do is uh, start by reading, uh, purchasing and reading Show Dog. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books in a Million, IndieBound. Um, you can go to Show Dog the Book, showdogthebook.com. You can order it from there as well. Josh, thank you so much for your time. We really enjoyed it. And also, we really enjoy the work you've been doing. And uh, it's great to put a, a, a literary answer to a best in show because uh, like you said there, there's some exaggerated in there but it's based on a, an actual world that people should know about yeah and I think one reason that movie is so funny is that there's a lot of truth to it <laughs> even people at dog shows will tell you right right the idea was to just like 
tell the story of dogs, you know, good and bad, exactly what it's like to be a show dog. And um, I'm, the fact that I've, I think it's been embraced by show people, but also people who have no interest is, yeah. is, is good. They, they say it's like not everything in there makes us comfortable, but we, we feel like it's accurate. So Absolutely. <laughs> terrific. All right, Joshua, you have a terrific rest of your day. Uh, great. Thanks so much for talking. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Pack People. Let us know at www.packpeople.com if you'd like to sponsor our work and make another great interview possible. Please get involved in Pack People's efforts. Our Craigslist petition needs your signature. Just go to www.packpeople.com and click the petition button to make a positive impact on the lives of animals. Thank you.